What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, how you doing, man? Do well, man. New weekend album coming soon by the look of it. Lots of sex and cocaine to be had in the weeks to come. Very exciting time. <laughs> uh, yeah, those the two singles dropped this past weekend. We added Heartless to our Nostalgia Best of 2019 playlist, so check it out. Um, unfortunately, this is the only music talk we really got this week because <laughs> we're, we're mostly going in on, on some big movies that came out, um, some prestige movies that have been doing fairly well in terms of the uh, the box office for one of them, something that you talked about last week in Knives Out. Um, and then we're going to also talk about Martin Scorsese's movie, uh, The Irishman, and The Report with our our very best boy, Adam Driver. So uh, before we jump into it, if you are watching this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Um, if you're listening to this in your earballs, go to soundcloud.com slash pod and follow the podcast any way that you enjoy listening to it. And give us that five-star rating review on iTunes. We appreciate it. We're also on Twitter at NostalgiaPod, where Dave tweets about all the things we can't get to uh, in the podcast this week. Starting off where we left last podcast, Knives <laughs> Out. Finally was able to make it. Um, although I do have to say, right before my showing, they showed the trailer for the, the Fox News movie that's going to be coming out. Bombshell. Twice. Yeah, they showed Bombshell twice in a row the trailer for it. And I... Really? It's like, God damn it! Is this going to be another issue with like the <laughs> got the hill here, Billy Eilish twice? Yeah, I mean, that that was pretty cool. But uh, no, it, it showed, and yeah, probably the most fun I've had at the movies in a very long time. Um, you know, you, you, I think you did a great job doing a non-spoiler breakdown of the movie last week on our podcast, um, and. Coming away from that, my expectations were pretty high, and somehow this movie still exceeded them. Like you, like you talked about last week, Daniel Craig is just having the, the time of his life, and it felt like everybody in this movie was just enjoying being there, enjoying acting with each other, and being ridiculous in a lot of ways. Um, I, I was really impressed with the movie. I know it's doing really well at the box office. I wanted to see... You're a bit removed from it. I'm still kind of riding that high off seeing it. How are you feeling a week out about Knives Out? Uh, Still very high. It's in the top 10 right now. I think it's just a very likable movie that's hard to not enjoy watching and also presents some interesting things to chew on in terms of talking about uh, class and race in the modern context here in the U.S., and even if you don't want to examine that further, it's a really compelling, fun murder mystery film that happens to be the best in that genre in who the fuck knows how long, like decades. Yeah. It, it, it's, it really can't be overstated. So, yeah, it, the movie fucking rules. I was very happy to see it do so well at the box office, you know, over 40 million over the five day Thanksgiving weekend, um, matching the budget right mm-hmm. there. But more importantly, an adult drama doing well at the box office, the adults showing up for said movie, you know, mm-hmm. it hasn't happened a lot recently for non IP stuff. And this is a totally original movie. So that's a huge win and let's keep it going. But yeah, movie, movie kicks ass. It's awesome. Yeah. It, it, I mean, 
stylistically, this is just a beautiful movie to look at. Um, set in a, a beautiful mansion. I think you said it was shot all around Boston, which makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. You kind you can kind of get that feel just by uh, paying attention to the the surroundings of, of the mansion. But you know, so much of this was just so beautiful. Um, starting with Chris Evans' sweaters. I mean, man. <sighs> That 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 guy can wear a sweater. He wears a lot of clothing very well, but those 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 cable knits, dog. I was digging them for, for sure. Ransom. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. I was like, who who names their, their kid Ransom? Um, it, it's his middle name, but still. these fucks do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Um, it, you know, the person I was blown away with in this cast, um, was Anna de Armas, um, who played Marta mm-hmm. and was really the the person that, that stirred the drink, so to speak, because she was the the center of the plot. Um, and you talked last week about how they, they give you a lot of information early on. And you're kind of like, wow, like how, how are they exposing this much of what happened already? And that's exactly my, my thought process going through this was like, how are we getting the information about, you know, that she actually gave him this, uh, gave him the morphine instead of the, like whatever is hydroglycerin or they're supposed to give him. Like right, an hour into the movie, like that—that that should be the reveal of it, you know. So, um, but then to actually like pull it around and, and make it even more about like uh, this wasn't just about this mistake because it wasn't actually a mistake; it was all these other parts to it. Um, it was just really, really well written, really well done, and really had me confused and and wanting to just know what's happening next. And I think that that's not only a testament to Johnson, but the acting in this was so engaging the whole time. Like even a scene like when uh, the lawyer comes and is breaking down how everything in the will is going to Marta. And then it kind of like shows him like hours later and they're just like still questioning him about it. And he's like, how many times are you going to ask me the same question? Like, and they just keep going over and over and they keep throwing out these like really random, like legal legalese. It was just so, (laughs) so funny and engaging. And yeah, it was, a delightful film to to watch. I, I really can't say enough about it. It's probably like top three for me so far this year. I haven't seen as many movies as you. That's with my asterisk <laughs> in this, but definitely up there for me. Yeah, you know, I think you mentioned Anna Armas, and I think she really jumped out in a small role in Blade Runner twenty forty nine as the like, AI com- uh, companion of Ryan Gosling, but. I hadn't really seen her in a whole lot else. I know she's in some upcoming stuff, some movies that, and she's in this movie that's getting dumped in January with Joel Kinnaman. So I don't think we're going to be talking about that one, but really, I think it's an inspired choice too to kind of pick an up and coming actress to have in this role. Cause you could have really picked anyone, anyone young. Mm-hmm. And when you have all this, uh, this star power and the clout of Ryan Johnson and Lionsgate, they could have picked someone much more famous and successful, but they didn't. So I was happy to see that. Um, I didn't even realize, uh, too, I talked about last week that the daughter of uh, Tony Collette is the star of 13 Reasons Why, another star. Like, it wasn't even in my orbit, so I didn't even realize it. But, mm-hmm. man, yeah, I think R- R- Knives Out really struck me right away. Once Craig and O'Keefe start doing the investigation, uh, interrogations or interviews anyway, mm-hmm. The way the editing jumps from close up of one person's face to the next person's face as they continue the story and the pace does not stop at all. 
get you understanding the passage of time and the passage of information to the characters. It's done so smartly. Mm-hmm. And also a really engaging way to keep watching the movie. So, yeah, I think uh, it seems everyone is really responding to this well. It's it's awesome. I, I saw this I saw this going around a little bit. I wonder if this helps Ryan Johnson's Star Wars movies at all. You know, the box office of it all. I can't I can't think it would, but he has been well liked and respected for a long time for a reason. And this is just another example. So, uh, fucking awesome. Yeah, it's it's great and. Uh, the the scene where Chris Evans is just telling everybody to eat shit is one of my favorite scenes of the year. Just hilarious. Um, the donut scene. Yeah. Oh, oh my god, the donut monologue was just. It, I was like almost falling out of my chair laughing because it was just so ridiculous and trying to like follow the logic was so bizarre. But um, yeah, Daniel Craig suits in these in this man. And if if uh people are watching on YouTube, they can see one of the suits he wears when when you speak it as your background and uh he he's just an absolute king in this and and i just love to see him doing a role that you can tell he's like he just was having a great time with you know especially because we've heard so much about how bond has been such like a slog for him you know he got injured um, in the yeah. newest one <laughs> right so to hear him like to see him just having this much fun on screen is just it's great yeah you know i think too at, at the end you know there's it's very much uh a modern take on the whodunit style and Agatha Christie inspired. So there's familiar like beats or what you think are beats in the movie. And one of those is at the end, of course, when uh, the lead investigator, Craig, is uh, explaining how he figured everything out. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's something you know, that, that, that that's a tropey thing in, in this this genre. Yet. You just have your mouth wide open listening to Craig. It's like the most gratifying thing ever once you've watched the rest of the knives out up to that point, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I think the movie just really works, and also, unfortunately, is not like much else right now. So I think it yeah. also is being benefited by standing out, just for the sake that it's kind of a one of one in terms of I don't know how, what else you would compare it to the past few years. So it's just exciting stuff, very unique for sure. Um, also, just wanted to shout out Edie Patterson. Um, oh yeah, you know we talked about her on Righteous Gemstones. Um, I feel like she's really had herself quite a year um and she's just she's she's great all all these actors are just fun like you know you put a bunch of actors together give them a fun whodunit uh and a good director and make a little bit of magic so if you haven't seen knives out if you're on the fence about it and uh for some reason you listen to our spoiler review go see it um can't we we can't recommend it enough um but that was the only movie i made it to in theaters and I think for you as well this week. But luckily, Prestige Movies came right into our living rooms. And we're going to start with one that was on Amazon. Uh, the Report. The Scott Z. Z. Burns film. Um, sorry, as I said earlier, Adam Driver. Um, this was a, a movie when, when I saw the trailer, I was very excited about this. Because it felt a lot like a, a modern All the President's Men in a way. Mm. Sure. Um, you know, Spotlight kind of was like that too. Um, a couple of years back, obviously won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Um, and I was, I was pleasantly, uh, I was appeased by this film, but I don't think <laughs> I was as blown away as I was, <laughs> as I was expecting. I'm wondering what, where you fell with it, and then maybe we'll start talking about what we like to do. 
Yeah, I like I like the movie. I like it because I think this is a very engaging story. Obviously, this it's really just it's a docudrama, and that story about you know the investigation into the uh, torture Day. methods used by the U.S. Uh, following 9/11 and all that. Um, it's compelling stuff, and just kind of seeing that come out, I think, was really uh, really cool. You know, I think Driver, in a sense, uh, elevates the material. Net betting elevates the material. There's a lot of talented people in small roles as well. But it does stand out for how it's not like Spotlight and how it's not like All the President's Men. When Driver meets with Matthew Reese, who plays an unnamed New York Times reporter, he doesn't give him the evidence. He doesn't hand off. He doesn't leak anything. Mm-hmm. There's no moment where the CIA chases Driver as to try and get him from leaking something or passing off something, right? Mm-hmm. Like the pulp that you expect in these stories isn't there because the movie's just faithful to how it actually happened. Right. So it, it's it's dry in that sense. Yeah. I think it all it kind of works with how the story is going because I think you can watch the report, which is really about you know stuff. Uh, I mean, this investigation by Daniel Jones, who Driver plays, this happened what like she started doing this like what, twelve years ago, right? A little more than that. Like it, it's it's a little dated, but you can still kind of apply this movie to today. I think I like how the movie uh, doesn't take like, a partisan stance the way like Jones is warned at the beginning. You know, you're going to have three Republicans and three Democrats on your team. This is a, you know, by the book thing. We, we just want the facts, no, no slant. I think this movie kind of is like that too, because it doesn't pull punches for either side. So I still, I still quite liked it, but I, I, I think, I think it can be dry for some people. I totally understand that. Yeah. You know, um, where I think I was a little bit just felt on the fence was um, there's a duality to this movie, right? So there's the the piece of it where it's about this investigation and they go pretty in depth in, ter- in terms of showing the, the, the bunk psychology behind these torture uh, right. techniques, the, uh, the philosophies and the, the cruelty that what was going on in these, these prisons. Um, and I think that part is incredibly fascinating. Seeing why they were doing these things, seeing how it kind of came about, how it actually played out, which was tough to watch sometimes, the actual torture scenes. Right. Um, and then also kind of seeing Driver put the pieces together of the investigation was really great. I feel like where it kind of uh, maybe wasn't all of that it could be, or I was left a little bit dissatisfied, was just with the 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 personal side of it because they they did try to pull in how this was impacting Daniel Jones mentally how he became very obsessed with it you know there was a scene mm-hmm. in the beginning where they're like do you ever take a day off and he said something along the lines of I haven't taken a day off in five years since this, this investigation started um, and you know the I, I think the 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 fact that he was able to do this is incredibly impressive but you kind of are just left seeing that this is kind of pushing him to the brink of like his like um his his ability to like deal with anything he's just like so on edge and so incredibly stressed out by the the pressure of this report but i feel like it doesn't really sink in enough about like how this impacted him individually and i and i felt like they they kept bringing it up enough where i wanted to hear more about it so it was just, i think it was just kind of hard to balance the the two different parts and one i think they did really well while one part the, the personal side i felt like they maybe could have fleshed out a little bit more, but 
still really impressive movie. And for something that, um, you know, coming up with a report and investigation can uh, not always be the most fun thing to watch. I thought they did a really good job of making this uh, a, a quick watch, something that felt like it flew by and wasn't dragging at all. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Just just thinking about the, uh, the rest of the cast, you know, like Tim Blake Nelson comes up as a guy who was in, you know, at one of the black sites and protested what was going on. And he meets with a driver once and that's it again. Like he does not become deep throat in this story. He just kind of makes his thoughts known and that's it. Um, Sarah Goldberg, small role in the beginning, but she kind of gets to what you were just saying about how the social life of, people working on this kind of task, how that would be impacted. And I did think she was pretty good in the few lines she had. Um, cool to see Michael C. Hall um, in something more mainstream. I hadn't really remarked about him in quite some time, how to come think of it. Um, but uh, then Ham, you know, kind of playing okay. someone that you can go either way on his character. Of course, he's playing Dennis McDonough, who became Obama's chief of staff. And they with the movie really started to hit for me is when we transitioned from the obvious criticisms of how things were handled under the Bush administration. And then you get to the Obama's first term and how uh, some things changed and some things didn't. And you kind of get the, like the, the sequel, you know, of if there was to be a sequel about uh, drones and how drones have been used by the U S the past 10 years. Right. Mm-hmm. And well, I think that's a lot more public already than, um, you know, the torture methods were at the time. Uh, the movie didn't really pull any punches, which I really respected. Um, and I thought Annette Bedding, you know, as Diane Feinstein, who's obviously a Hall of Fame civil servant as far as uh, U.S. history goes in terms of just having a long career in government. Um, you know, Annette Bedding, you know, she wanted to get the Oscar. She's been trying the past few years, you assume, given the kind of role she's doing. Obviously, this is not going to happen, but it was, uh, you know, another good performance from her, which is uh, just the norm. So, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think it's a... Uh, you know, just it's just well told story. You know, mm-hmm. Corey Stoll comes up playing a expensive ass lawyer, and you're like, "Yeah, I buy this. I buy everything I'm yeah. watching." Yeah, yeah, it incredibly well acted. I, I think the the writing, just the the way that they kind of structured the script, is really impressive. Um, I guess I was wondering because we we've reviewed quite a few movies that have been Amazon Studio re- releases and. Um, where do you think this falls in terms of like Amazon's like prestige movies? Like I'm huh. trying to think which other ones. Lost City of Z comes to mind. I don't know if that was strictly mm-hmm. an Amazon Studios. I believe so. It was, yeah. Um, was Manchester by the Sea Amazon Studios? That might yep. be the only one. That was really their biggest win. Obviously, yeah. Casey Affleck won um, Best Picture nominated. Um, yeah, just like looking back, you know, Amazon Studios is very interesting, and, and I think. The report is a particular interest because this movie was released a few weeks ago, weeks ago, you know, nominally in a few theaters on the coasts. But this came out on Prime on Black Friday right after that initial release. This is a new strategy from Amazon. Now, notably, Amazon Studio movies have kind of struggled to make box office impact, even when Amazon puts them in a lot of theaters right away and markets them um, late night this year, a movie we, we liked. Latest example of that, um, the Goldfinch uh, is a co Amazon Studio movie. Certainly, certainly bomb. But yeah, in terms of like their best movies, I think this is towards the top. 
you know, I, I would I would defer to Manchester. And uh, there's one other one at that time I'm trying to think of. Uh, we'll see Z. Oh, the big sick. That's it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one too. A lot of good movies this decade. And you know, and then they had a lot of good stuff too. That again, no one really saw. Like you were never really here. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, right. you won't get far on foot. Uh, Beautiful boy. Um, they did U.S. distribution for Cold War. You know, so uh, this year they have Honey Boy as well. So it's never been a, a quality problem with with Amazon. It's just. Uh, Finding an audience, they, they they just can't find an audience the way um, A24 has and Neon has started to, and you know the Aeronauts comes out on Friday with Ready Main, Ready Redmain and Felicity Jones, and that will be coming out on Prime on December twentieth, and a kind of similar path for well, we just got for the report, so we'll see if how, how that goes. But yeah, it's very interesting, and you can tell that Amazon Studio, especially as they've had with leadership changes, is just trying to get more stable you know they're, they're definitely struggling as far as the small houses or houses are but yeah report it's available to everyone i think people should watch it especially if they're interested in this subject definitely check it out you've seen marriage story already um i so have also comes out friday just to just to see where you're at in terms of driver performance how do these two performances measure up um yeah well so they're so different Jones, yeah, they're very different. Daniel Jones is kind of just a really driven guy. And Adam Driver, just by his talent, can kind of make that um, more palpable and enjoyable. But at the end of the day, he's a guy grinding, you know, Microsoft Word and shit for hours on a computer screen. And, you know, when he has those uh, conversations where he gets heated talking to Annette Benning, you're like, yeah, there's Driver. He just can elevate material. Mm-hmm. But it's not like the best role or anything. Again, I think that speaks to just the the dry nature that is this, you know, factual story. That's just the way it went down, right? So there's only so much, so many moments for a driver to stand out. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Marriage stories is anything but that. It's a very showy performance, especially at that um, climactic or uh, anticlimactic fight scene that he has with mm-hmm. Scott Johansson where, you know, you get a little Kylo Ren, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, this is, a, you know, not, not in the driver canon, but it's kind of like the driver. He's always good. Yeah. Know? Yeah, I I think we're definitely going to get an Adam Driver Best Actor nom, but it's going to be for Marriage Stories, pretty much what everybody's saying. Um, although the report, obviously, a uh, still a testament to his ability as an actor. and he, He's he's just awesome, man. Like, everything he's in right now, he seems like he can't miss. So um, definitely check out the report. You almost certainly have Amazon Prime, so you can watch it. You probably also have Netflix, which dropped The Irishman this past uh past wednesday um right right before thanksgiving and uh, man martin scorsese so we we talked a little bit about the irishman and about the mostly about the runtime about how we were feeling about Mm -hmm. it and i was saying three and a half hours a little too much uh cut it down you know try try to make the story a little bit more uh a little more succinct uh i shouldn't have doubted martin scorsese yes i was worried you were gonna double down (laughs) I will say, I, th- I think there are some parts where the, the movie breathes just a little bit too much sure. at times. And, um, you know, listening it, to... Objectively, it's long. Yes, like, it is. Obviously. <laughs> and I, I watched this in two sittings. I watched the first two and a half hours and then uh, naively saved the last hour um, for just a, another showing, which was tough because that last hour is bleak. 
Um, but I still found everything about this movie incredibly, incredibly engaging. And to use a word I've been, I brought up a lot today, uh, but that was that's important for a three and a half hour movie because it, it you know like a movie like Silence, um, you know where, where you have Andrew Garfield um, and, <laughs> and Liam Neeson and they're the and Adam Driver and they're mm-hmm. they're basically just going through these these torture scenes and yeah. and they're they're just kind of like sitting not there having it, fun it, basically yeah. the entire time the whole time and neither is just, most of the Japanese people in the movie <laughs> yeah it's just misery um, that that feels like a long two hours and 45 minutes. This felt like a very quick two hour or three and a half hours. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a testament not only to the performances. I mean, you have these three, three guys basically centering this around Pacino, Pesci, and of course, De Niro playing the main, the main role. Um, and everything about it is just gripping, you know, whether it's, it's Pesci playing this, like, obvious sociopath as buffalino but also in this very like calculated way it's basically like like the opposite of his his uh mm-hmm. casino that's tommy yeah it's tommy yeah or goodfellas i'm sorry and then you uh then you have <laughs> pacino as hoffa and he's just not he's dialed up to 15 pretty much the entire time just like screaming uh all over the place just like in the best ways possible and then obviously de niro kind of playing the middleman playing the the main character who's driving the story along, but also, you know, a, a tragic figure who uh, doesn't realize how much he's actually losing by the relationships he feels like he's getting from. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really great movie. And it's another one of Scorsese's just brilliant pieces of film. I'm assuming you felt the same way. I did. And I think the Irishman, you have more of an appreciation for it. If you're more familiar with Martin Scorsese's work, yeah. Um, there's some obvious stuff like towards the end, you have a tracking shot in the nursing home where Frank Sheeran's old ass is, you know, living out the rest of his days alone. An obvious homage to the Copacabana scene, famous in Goodfellas, you know, one of the most mm-hmm. iconic tracking shots there is. Um, but then there's more subtle things, right? Like the Irishman at no point through Frank's narration ever really glorifies what's happening. And by the end, you see how much he had lost, as you said, and how, how alone uh, Frank was and the feeling of unfulfillment that kind of goes in the face of past things that Scorsese has tried. You know, Goodfellas, despite ending poorly for Henry Hill, looks like an amazing time the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. And Wolf of Wall Street, while not a gangster movie in a traditional sense, uh, definitely looks like it's fun to be Jordan Belfort in the moment, right? <laughs> even if that's not some movie that really even endorses what's happening, it's definitely enjoyable and it thus has lent itself to many a meme, as we all know. Mm-hmm. But The Irishman is, it just felt so meta to me, you know? And like, why? And I think part of it too is De Niro is old. He's, uh, 70, 76, 78. Gosh, I didn't write it down. Marty 77, Pacino 79, Pesci 76, and I forgot how old De Niro is, but he's around that age. Mm-hmm. And even though he was de-aged, which I think looked nice, he still moved as an yeah. old man. And kind of seeing him move through the movie, like it, like almost like... 76, by the way. Right. Seeing him be like more, more slower and more measured, it, it, it just really felt like, like a perfect capstone on this like gangster genre. And like... Do we do we ever need a movie about 
the mafia again? Like, I, I honestly don't know if we do. Like between I don't know. between like the God, two Godfather movies from Coppola, and then the three movies that he's done, Marty with Irishman, Casino, and Goodfellas. Like I mean, like I just don't know like what we what like like cinematically like what 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 can we get new? Like obviously we can visit revisit new, new characters, and you know I think well partially I liked about this just from a historical standpoint is Russell Buffalino and like the Philly mob is not something I think anyone's that familiar with, right? We, we know the New York stuff and we know Chicago from Al Capone, but we don't really know all the other, you know, big, big aspects of the Castle right. Nostra, right? And well, that, that was cool to see. But, and like, we, we could get new, less famous mobsters, but like, I, I just, like, w- what does anyone have left to say about like mobsters anymore? I feel like this was an amazing capstone. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an amazing movie. Um, I think that there's always going to be stories to come out of it just because the mob has uh, so many myths and, and so many yeah. actual so very fascinating. In, yeah, fascinating stories. It's just like, uh, even if it's a fictional, uh, fictional, fictionalized version of the mob or something like that, I think there will always be room for mob movies. Uh, but what you're talking about, actually, I think, he actually encapsulates at the end of the movie, you know, when he's looking through the pictures and the nurse says, Oh, who's that? And he goes, you don't know who that is. That that's, that's Jimmy Hoffa. And she's like, Oh, Jimmy Hoffa. And he's like, you really don't know who that is. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that speaks to there, there, there's a divide with the people that watch this movie. I had no idea a lot of the stuff about Jimmy Hoffa going into this. And I, I Interesting. came away. Did you know he disappeared? Did you know that? Yeah, I knew that. And he's, okay. he was supposedly at the Meadowlands. And that, so that, that that's actually another piece of this is that I I knew the lore of his death, and also how this supposedly uh, was were stories from a guy who's on his deathbed and might not mm-hmm. actually even be exactly what happened. This is right. more of just like heard you paint houses right in the book. Yeah, a man re- recounting his well, his memories of what he, he says happened. We don't even know if it's true, and I think it's actually been debunked a lot of ways. So, so it's it's just fun fun interesting stories and. Um, you know, uh, one point I wanted to go back to you talk about was the de aging. I thought the de aging looked a lot better than I expected it to, but I also felt very confused at times. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about the scene where De Niro goes to uh, beat up the grocer, and mm-hmm. and if he if for some reason they just wanted to have De Niro do it. And, He's taking these little steps to study himself, which someone who's supposed to be, I think, 30 to 35. Yeah. Would he not never looked as young as he was supposed to look. Right. And that's the thing is that I was like, how like, is this guy 20? Is he supposed to be 30, 40? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it left me guessing a lot of time. He's already married with kids. Yeah, this is supposed to be well in the past. How far back? It, it's never that clear. But he did right. look quite younger. And I, I did, did think the, the effects overall were good. But at the end of the day, he's an almost eighty year old man. You only can make him look so young, yeah. and he can't move young. They had to train him. Like that, a lot of the behind the scenes of the whole movie is fascinating. Like mm-hmm. they would have multiple cameras right in their faces for the de aging purposes, and mm-hmm. the, you know these world class Hall of Fame actors had to be like trained and coached about when to move to each camera. Yeah, make sure the effects were recorded correctly. But yeah, it's hard to coach coach a guy to move like he did thirty years, forty years ago. You know, right? Yeah, that, that, that's the thing. It's like coordination is something that you, you can't de age really. Um, 
But overall, I thought that that was good. I think if anything, the takeaway is that there's probably a limit to it because I think when I think when they were playing like in their late 40s to 70s, right. they looked. I mean, obviously when they're in their 70s, they look like they're supposed to. But they they I don't, I could barely tell that there was aging just by knowing that there was. I knew, but mm-hmm. otherwise, I thought that looked perfect. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it, it, there was a lot about this I liked. And one particular person stood out to me, and that was Stephen Graham, um, playing <laughs> Tony, Tony, Pro. Tony Pro. Man, he was awesome in this. And I, I, I was familiar with him from uh, Boardwalk Empire. He played Al Capone in that. It was also good. Um, I don't remember him being to this level uh, in that. And pretty much every scene he was in, I felt like he stole it. Um, whether it was the scene where he showed up late and then was wearing shorts. and Who wears shorts to a meeting? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> Uh, or where they they start fighting in the prison? Um, <laughs> oh man, that it was all just like he was just fantastic, just uh, mm-hmm. going toe to toe with Pacino. But like I said, it's dialed up to fifteen. This is just uh, very impressive. Any other little like uh, side performances that stood out to you? Yeah, you know, um, thinking back to Goodfellas, remember the beginning where you walk into the uh, that restaurant they're hanging out with, and Henry Hill's like. You know, here's so and so Carbone. Here's you know Tommy Two Fingers. You know he goes through like thirty guys in like a minute and a half, just like as they walk through the bar, and like you just feel like right at home. You never totally get that, but there's still some characters like that in this mob, right? Like uh, Bobby Cannavale plays like um, what's his name, like Sammy Razor or something. Yeah, something Razor. Razor. Um, and then you get Sally Bugs, who helps obviously kill Hoff at the end. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ah oh, man, I love mob names. They're so <laughs> so good. And like you, crazy Joe Gallo, of course, very famous. That's another one where um, I think the points of contention with the uh, historical stuff. That's the other point. But um, I liked Harvey Keitel. Obviously, I'm watching it. Oh, yeah. He plays Angelo Bruno, who um, a very big mob figure in Philly, but he's kind of on the periphery of this specific story. And then I'm like, oh, is that Keitel? And I whipped out my phone real quick. I was like, oh, that is Keitel. Fuck yeah! yeah. I didn't even know he was in this. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Keitel was great. Jesse Plemons also good playing Hoffa's dumb adopted yeah. son. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, always lo- the, always love the fish scene. Not, was not incredible. Bad. Yes, so good. And I did. I was left a little confused as to like where he went when Hoffa gets you know murked like ten mm-hmm. like two minutes later. But um, he just I thought, drove away. Right, I guess. I guess. I assume. Um, but like you, did, you don't think he would ever bring up that this would happen. That that part was left a little bit hazy, but. Um, yeah, I thought he was great. Um, Anna Paquin, uh, you know, there's been there's been some mm-hmm. criticism around her role in this, right? Because she right. plays his daughter, who is uh, very close to Hoffa, didn't like Buffalino, um, and then it's kind of like the emotional gut punch at the end because she wants nothing to do with her dad because of everything that he put her and the rest of the family mm-hmm. through by the making the choices that he did. Saw um, who he really was. But she she doesn't say much, you know. What is she? Has maybe like three or four lines in this movie. Yeah, not much. It's really just her looks and her and her facial expressions. Yeah, mm-hmm. Peggy. But I, it, I saw I saw a tweet kind of addressing this, um, and someone said, you know, this is a criticism of Martin Scorsese in general that he doesn't really write strong female characters, um, and that he, you know, does that make him misogynistic? And uh, the tweet really, I think, addressed this well, saying he looks at these 
these people and tells these stories of these men who are pretty awful guys and awful guys treat women like this. It's, and it's not to say that Martin Scorsese doesn't respect women or think that they are worth telling stories about. He chooses to tell these stories about these terrible people to highlight it. And sure, sometimes he makes these people look very fun and people uh, can interpret and idolize the, the characters in these stories whichever way they want to. But I think at the heart of almost every Scorsese like mob, movie about the mob or wealth is pretty much like these things corrupt people and make them awful human beings. That seems to be at the center of pretty much all these stories. Um, and I, I, there's there's a lot more to it than that. That's a very like condensed, I think, thesis to summarize those. But um, I think the the criticism around Paquin's role and, and just the lack of strong female characters in general in these movies is is not not a fair critique. Yeah, I think for for Peggy, both her child self, which you actually get more of, I think, honestly, than you do with uh, Paquin. But Peggy ultimately is there to serve Frank and show Frank what he's lost throughout the thing. And you get the shades early on where she's very cold to Russell, but warms to Jimmy, who always inspired um, loyalty in everyone he met. And ultimately, this was told from Frank's perspective. He is narrating the movie. I think the narration was effective. You know, he had some funny lines as well, but even when he was just kind of going over montages, it, it was good. But, I, I, you know, would it be nice to, to get more of her thoughts? Of course it would have been. But I think it doesn't really detract from the movie, you know? And I'd actually be curious to see, well, what does Paquin think? Obviously, she took the role. Obviously, she was happy to be in a Scorsese movie act alongside these people. But I was curious, like, what does the actor think about the critiques, just, you know, from an objective perspective? You know, I I don't think she's weighed in yet. I haven't seen anything. But I I think back to Margot Robbie with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and, Mm -hmm. you know, the the critique around Sharon Tate and how, you know, she didn't have a lot of lines in the movie either. And she seemed to address it pretty straight on saying she didn't agree with the criticism and didn't feel that way going into it. But yeah, certainly, uh, I think this is a little bit different because Robbie had a much bigger role than that. Movie was ultimately about what we lost with Sharon Tate. This is not, right. we're not, we're not getting that about uh Peggy Sheeran or yeah. whatever her, her uh, uh, last name became, but oh, man. So uh, about the other performance, what's up with the lead performances? Because obviously you have De Niro carrying the movie. He's in the movie the whole time. Mm-hmm. Obviously he's good. But I think, I think what really stood out to me was, I mean, Pat, we'll get to Pacino in a second, but I really like Pacino as Hava. I thought it was a perfect yeah. fit. You know, like, yes, mm-hmm. this is more late period Pacino where he's really, uh, lays into the bravado right ever since like Sen of a woman you know and oftentimes mm-hmm. this has been awesome like in heat um yep. and other times it, it's uh it's more more hokey more hammy but man he just felt like a perfect hoffa to me mm-hmm. and you know like and the movie i think does a really good job i mean ever since from the moment hoffa shows up in the movie with i heard you paint houses and frank's like yeah i do but you know, carpentry as well which people have questioned the historicity of a Detroit man like Hoffa even knowing that phrase. But mm. either way, once that, once the movie, uh, once Pacino shows up, in the movie, I think the movie just completely takes off. Yeah. It's like, it, it does not stop being engaging until it ends. And they really do a great job of communicating how Jimmy inspired so many people. I think at the peak of organized labor with Teamsters and stuff. And uh, you kind of like getting stra- uh, 
swiped up in it too, you know, and, and just seeing how compelling a figure he was. And despite the fact, of course, he was skimming off the top two. He was not an angel by any means. Mm-hmm. He literally goes to jail and um, did not make yeah. his uh, thoughts on JFK. Uh, uh, he didn't shy away from that. But, didn't mince words. Yeah. No, but I, I really, really enjoyed enjoyed Pacino. And yeah, yeah. really, as the end too, like, I was like, they, 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 in a sense, drag out the, the death, you know, it's coming. And I think, uh, Pesci, like, Russell really kind of slow plays that with Frank, but every, all the way leading up to that, where it's like, nope, uh, Jimmy's gone too far. He has to get axed. And then when it actually happens, you know, it's really quick. It's unglamorous again, leading into this, um, theme with the movie. Um, and the whole, the whole arc with Hoffa, I loved. And of course, you get some of the best Stephen Graham as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I loved Pacino in this. Um, every scene he was in, I just found myself having fun, um, which is, is funny, uh, kind of going back to what I was saying about probably what the heart of this movie is, that the, these sort of people were not actually good people. But Hoffa was just so engaging as a, like a, a figure. You know, I think the way Pacino plays him, you, you get a sense of like probably why this person was so was able to gain so much stature just by being personality like that um you mentioned pesci though as buffalino um i I felt like pesci had maybe the most difficult of like the the three big roles in this you know because buffalino was like a cold-blooded killer pretty much like he was cutthroat uh but very uh, at least the way it comes across is very tactical and very like thoughtful in terms of how he was going about things, how he was building relationships, when it was the time to cut things off. Um, and I felt like Pesci plays this character, you know, as Tommy, but just like, like a more logical, mm-hmm. uh, Tom in a way. And level-headed. Yeah. There's this like intensity that like, I feel like underlies the coolness of Buffalino in this that was just really, um, really gripping every time he he was like having a conversation with frank about something or especially when he was telling him he needed to you know take hoffa out um mm-hmm. I, I just I, I love pesci's performance and that's one of the best of the year i think yeah absolutely he's so i mean the oscar chance for the movie have been talked about a lot ever since people started seeing it after new york film festival and best picture i think is pretty safe for a nomination I think Pesci is very safe for best supporting actor. I think the other ones are more curious. Will they get a second best supporting with Pacino? And will mm-hmm. De Niro also get a best actor? Um, we've talked about the best actor field being crowded and loaded with A-listers before. And best supporting is not quite as loaded, but I wouldn't be surprised if all three get nominated, to be honest, considering I think Netflix played this really well. You know, we talked about the movie not getting the traditional release, Netflix and the Theaters cannot come to terms over a exclusivity window. I think it came out to about 12 days was the difference in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they put, they put it out right for Thanksgiving weekend when everyone's together and everyone, you know, see, you see someone after a long time apart sometimes. And in that case, it's just like everyone seeing Pesci again, who really has not been around in a major way since the 90s. Yeah. Not to mention Nero and Pacino reuniting again for the first time of actual consequence since the 90s. And I think the narrative is there. And everyone's Mm -hmm. fucking watched this movie this past weekend. You know, like, I think that's the thing, too. It's like people have seen The Irishman, despite the length. People talking about it. Mm -hmm. Scorsese has been in the news. 
for nonsense and for good reason yeah the past few months so yeah i think the the, the campaign will be uh will be fun and hopefully we'll get uh Pesci again because even if he doesn't win uh we'll get reminded of course of when he did win for goodfellas and he gives like a five word speech or whatever you know yeah no absolutely i um i wanted to give a quick shout out to one other character in this and that that's uh lawyer buffalino i called it but really ray romano Um, everybody loves him yeah you mentioned the big sick earlier and i feel like ray romano as a character actor Mm, um has been on a bit of a role recently um you know besides the uh uh, was it was it Scorsese who he was doing the the show on HBO with that flopped with Cannavale as well? Was, was he it, on vinyl? Oh, yeah, vinyl. Yeah, he was on vinyl. He was uh, he was like a director or something like that in it. Um, but other than that, I think pretty much everything that Romano's been in recently uh, that he's done a serious role has been really really good. Um, I'm, I'm I'm glad to see this because I, I was not a big Everybody Loves Raymond fan. There, you know, some episodes I like, some I didn't, but um, it's nice to see that he had a lot more to offer than just uh, a, a, yeah. Well, absolutely. Crappy city sitcom. So, um, any other thoughts on the Irishman? Uh, shout out Steve Zalian, responsible for the script. Ultimately, I think this movie is all script. You know, in a movie this long, you think, oh, there'll be huge set pieces that take up time. No, not really. This movie's all character. It's all writing. Yeah. It's basically constant dialogue, except for a few moments of violence. And part of that is do the talent of the actors, but ultimately you need a good script. And I think the script is really, really impressive. Yeah. And despite its uh, unwieldy length, it really kind of captures its arcs in a succinct way. The overall arc of Frank, you know, the Hoffa arc, which we've already remarked on how much we liked, and, you know, kind of everything in between. So, mm-hmm. yeah, a best uh, adapted screenplay also would not shock me. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that that's a shoe in my opinion so um definitely check out the irishman if you're one of the few people in the country who hasn't i'm sure we'll get those netflix statistics soon that say like mm. 500 million people have watched this movie in the more people than we have subscribers like yes exactly um <laughs> but that's gonna do it for us this week uh however or at least we'll say for this episode this week because mm. later on this week we are going to start our best of the decade talk, starting with movies. Um, I wonder if any of the movies we talked about today will be on any of our lists. I'm going to say probably not, but potentially. No, I don't um, think so. Close, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, Irish, Irishman, I think uh, if someone had it on their list, they could certainly make a case for it. Mm-hmm. So, um, we're, so stay tuned for that. And hit that subscribe button on, on YouTube. Um, if you uh, want to get ready for our, our weekly pod next week, Dave, what should the people be getting caught up on? Marriage Story is out on Netflix on Friday. You can check my spoiler-free review on that if you somehow don't know why people like that movie. Pat, very excited to watch that. We know. Um, Camila Cabello's second solo album, Romance, comes out on Friday. That'll be interesting. And Silicon Valley wraps up its final season on Sunday. Yeah, and uh, the Aeronauts, I think, again, opens up, at least tangentially, probably won't be by me or you, but it's out there in the world now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, and Marvel's Mrs. Maisel, season three, drops in full on, a- on Amazon on Friday. We'll talk about that in probably two weeks. So things are still coming out. It's going to start winding down, thankfully, 
in the next two weeks. But yeah, uh, content coming. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Again, hit that subscribe button. Follow us on Twitter at NostalgiaPod. We'll catch you next week. Yeah.